0: Three days, I have five today, so I'm at the one, four, five and one at six and one at seven so but it's you know you never know what you come in for. maybe you came in, maybe I came in for this, who knows. not this year, but next year, there'll be an itzotos Haggadah coming out. So this is the introduction to that Haggadah. Pesach is called Zman HaChair which means it's the octave of Geula. And obviously, we know that on a national level, Klal Yisrael left Mitzrayim, we know that the Geulah is embedded in the Zman itself meaning the Zman of Geulah comes before the actual Yitzia of Mitzrayim they left Mitzrayim on the 15th of Nisan because there was a Zman there was a time that was Geirim Cherus in the world and this is what it means that Avram Avinu was already holding by the Antif of Pesach when the Malachim came to visit him so if that's the case, and this is a zman and especially because we're holding shloi Yoim Kaydim k'edam and especially, especially, because as we'll see, the main avoda that we have in this generation specifically, is to have a parallel to Yitzhi mitzrayim but from the exact opposite direction, which is Be'ezer HaShem, we'll discuss. So it makes sense to spend time focusing and what exactly we're meant to do in terms of preparing for Pesach. I think today, especially because we have Baruch Hashem, such beautiful homes, I can't imagine what it's like to clean this home for Pesach. You no? Know? I know in Eretz Yisrael, it's, uh, my brother-in-law lives in a two-and-a-half-bedroom apartment. Is Abisha here? No, I he left. He lives in a two-and-a-half-bedroom apartment. So I asked him, how do you, how do you clean your house for Pesach? He goes... I don't know, it takes like two hours to clean for Pesach. You know? <laughs> like, what do you have to do, really? Baruch Hashem, I have a little bit of a larger place in Ramat Chamash. I come, I come back to the five towns and I remember. It takes a lot of time to baruch Hashem. I grew up here. But what are we supposed to be doing aside from the cleaning? What are we supposed to be doing in our lives to clean out the chametz of our lives? The number 15 is heavily associated with the Yom Tov of Pesach. Obviously the 15th of Nisan, that goes without saying. But in the Haggadah itself, there's two very important 15s that exist. The first is the Simonim of the Seder. There's 15 steps in the Seder itself. Kadesh, Urchatz, Karpas, Yachatz. There's 15 if you count them. And the second 15 is at the end of Sipur Yetzirah Mitzrayim, it says, How much gratitude do we have to have to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for all the wondrous things that he did for us in Mitzrayim. And it goes on to list 15 things. The first being, And finally, culminating with, It culminates with the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu builds for us a Beis HaMikdash, but you'll notice the Lashon here is not Beis mikdash, but Beis HaBekhira, a place of choice. And specifically for what? al To atone for all of our Averas that we've done. And the Ritva says that these 15 steps, at the end of Siprisi Misraim, these 15 things that we must be grateful for, aside from the fact that the Gematria... A 15 is Hoyl, which is a lotion of Gratitude. But the Ritva says that these correspond to the 15 steps that went from the Ezras noshim and the Beis HaMikdash to the Ezras Yisrael. There were 15 steps from the men's section to the women's section, or more appropriately, from the women's section to the men's section, as we'll soon see. We know that Davon HaMelech composed 15 She'a Malos, each one from one of the steps of the Beis HaMikdash. There are 15 curtains that flank the Mishkan. These all, all of these things go together. There's 15 expressions after Kriyashma, before the Ge'ula of Esra. Yatsiv and Achom yashar v'hu, Right? 15 of them. All of these 15s go together. So what's this idea of 15? Where does it come from? What is it trying to teach us? So the Maral in Gevuras Hashem says that there's 15 levels that every person must journey through in this world. It starts at the Ezra's notion. it starts at the lowest level, and journeys to the Ezra's Yisrael. Now what does this mean? To journey from the lowest level, which is feminine, to the highest level, which is masculine. Obviously the Maral did not mean this Chas Vashalman in a way that denigrates women. In fact, as we'll soon see, it's quite the opposite. So what does the Maral mean over here? To go from the lowest level, which is feminine, to the highest level, which is masculine, to traverse the 15 steps of the Beis HaMikdosh. There's a concept in Chassidus and Kabbalah called, The purpose of this world is to combine, to connect two worlds. Kudshubrihu, which is the Rabbanu Shalala, what does shkhina mean? We don't often think about this word. We say the Shekhinah. What does Shekhinah mean? The Shekhinah means the indwelling of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence in all things. And our job is to unite these two realities. Right now, these two realities exist, at least for us, as two independent things. There's the Rabbani Shalom, and then there's our world. And the Shekhinah resides in our world. But the Shekhinah is not comfortable in our world because it has not been revealed in our world. And the Maral explains... I'm sorry, it's actually the Kliyakr. The Kliyakr explains that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world, he created the world with a Yud and a He. And the Yud is masculine, and the Hey is feminine. And our job is to unite the Yud and the Hey, and in this way we reveal HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence in our world. Where do we see this? So there's an amazing Gemara. Everybody here knows the Gemara. I'm sure you've heard this Gemara before. It's not possible in your life that you went through life without hearing this Gemara. But it's a Gemara that Bezer Hashem you'll understand on a much deeper level in a couple of moments. Listen to what the Kliyakar says about this Gemara. The Gemara in Sota, Ish Isha. when there's Shalom Nehem, the is Shri Yasham, Right? A man and a woman... When the when there's shalom between them, the shrina is Yisham, why? Because Ish has the letter Yud in it and Isha has the letter He in it. But if the Shalom there is no shalom being Ish ishtay. right? If there's no shalom between a husband and his wife, so then all that's left is the ish and Shalom, the fire will destroy the world. What does this Gemara mean? It's like a Gemara that every, everybody learns, right? When you're growing up, it's like, how could you have a Shear about Shaduchim without quoting this Gemara? And Some rabbi will get up there and give a bracha, and every seminary girl will say like a deep amen, you know, the deepest kavanah is possible. If she can only say amen properly to this bracha, then she will surely have shalom b'ayas with her husband. And if she doesn't have shalom b'ayas, it's probably because she didn't say amen with enough ferocity and intensity when she was younger. So what does the Gemara really mean? The is obviously telling us a deep side. The holiest side of this world is to unite the masculine and the feminine. When Akadush Baruch creates Olam Haba, He creates it with the letter Yud. When He creates Olam Hazeh, He creates it with the letter hey. Our responsibility is to create Shalom, to create harmony between these two worlds, so that Olam Hazeh can become Olam Haba, so that the Yud and the He can once again reunite. Perhaps we can suggest, we can add, that this is the deeper meaning of the famous Medrash, that we all know, that Avram Avinu, when he was searching for God, what did he see? He saw a bira delekes, he saw a palace on fire. What was the fire that Avram Avinu saw? Why was the palace on fire? So we can suggest that in the times of Avram Avinu, when there was no yichud between the yud and the hay, because this is what Avram came into the world to do, to create the unification between the masculine and the feminine. So he saw a world that was on fire. And in gufa, in that fire, is where he finds HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Gufa within the eish is where a person has to create shalom. There has to be a tension in order to create shalom. But it's up to us down here in this world to reveal HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence. If it comes, as we'll soon see, if it comes from above to below, something is lacking. It's much better when it comes from below to above. And this is why feminine redemption is the story of every single geula in the history of Klal Yisrael. There has never been a story of redemption where the women were not at the center. That's what it means. It was specifically because of the righteous women in Mitzrayim, specifically because there was an awakening from the side of the feminine, that we were Zaychet to the Geula. And what does this mean practically? It's a Befei Shirashi. If we were only paying attention, we would have seen it. It's a Befei Shirashi. There was a question. There was a question. The question was as follows. If Paro controlled the guf of all of Klal Yisrael, Could it be that Paro did not control the guf of the women of Klal Yisrael in Mitzrayim? And therefore, there was a question. Were the children actually Jewish? Were there Jewish children or were there Egyptian children? The concept of being suspect of who is a Jew is not new. This is a very old idea. But because the women were so modest, and because the women of Mitzrayim took care of their husbands... Their husbands did not chas stray. And this is what the Pesach says. Rashi quotes, Shiftei ka edus li Yisrael. The Shifte ka, the Shvatim of Yudhei, provided testimony to Yisrael. What was the testimony they provided? So if you look, when we're naming the Shvatim in Parshas by Midbar, you'll see it says, Ruvein b'chor Yisrael, b'nei ruvein chanoch mishpachas hachanochi. The Falu Mishpachas Why do they add on a he and a yud in their names? And also, as the Maskela David points out, why does the he come before the Yud? So the answer is because of the He, because of the feminine side of the Yud and the He, because there was an awakening from the feminine side to make sure that the men in Mitzrayim behaved appropriately. HaKadosh who added on to every single name of the Shvatim, a He and a Yud, and specifically in that order, because it was the feminine that leads the masculine, and not HaSveshal, and vice versa. And that's what it means. Shiftei Ka Eidus that The Shvatim of yud Hey, the extra Hey and the Yud that were attached to the Shvatim's names, were made to the Geula that would ultimately come bshus So the question is, what was missing in Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? What's missing in Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? Why do we need to have that in every single generation we have to see ourselves as if we are leaving Mitzrayim? What was missing from that original Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? So as we said a moment ago, there's something that's lacking in Mitzrayim. Yarizal says that in Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, in the original Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, HaKadosh Baruch took us out. So in a certain sense, even though it was it was in the merit of the feminine that we merited to be redeemed. Nevertheless, the redemption occurred mostly from above. The redemption occurred mostly from the masculine side. HaKadosh Baruch is Mashpia, and we are the makabel in this world. So HaKadosh Baruch is masculine relative to the world which is feminine because we receive the divine light. yarizal says that because we were in Mentes Tesh Literally, if Hakadosh Baruch Hu didn't take us out, we would have been completely lost. Which means that even though there were small things that we did, that awakened the Sarusa de Leila, we awakened the force from above. La the force from above, was the generating force of redemption. Why is that a problem? Imagine for a moment an addict. Person struggles with addiction. Two addicts, one addict. He's heading down a bad path. Some loved ones make an intervention. They sit him down at the table. They all read their letters to him, exactly like we saw it on television growing up, right? That was, uh, you know. And maybe they convince him to go to rehab. In rehab, he sobers up, detoxes, gets it out of his system some therapy gets clean about such an addict we would hope that they would remain sober for the entirety of their lives but there's something that's lacking from that addict a reason that will be afraid that they'll return to their previous ways what's missing that addict never hit rock bottom so the awakening to become sober came from without not from within and that's a problem. Another addict, Chas Vashal, married, wife, children, house, job, the whole nine yards. And you know how it goes. person starts with their addiction, slowly goes, builds up the lying, the cheating, the sneaking, the stealing, whatever happens. Before long, they lose their job, their wife, their children, their house, and at some point, perhaps at the lowest moment in their life, where do they find themselves? In the strangest of places, a person who could have been at the height of his power could find himself, living under a bridge, homeless, begging. In that moment, it's possible for the addict to have an incredible awakening and to realize this is not working. It's no longer working. It's not shy for me to lead this life anymore. And as a result, the addict can choose to check himself in to a rehab, to start going to a 12-step program, to start going to meetings, to take even a menial job, doing whatever they can do just to get themselves back on their feet. They go through all the steps. They make a list of all their resentments. They realize that they have to take ownership for that resentment. They make a list of all the people that they've harmed. They apologize, they make amends, they start living a life of service. They go through the whole nine yards. Now, of course, that person is also in danger of Chas Sham slipping back. But the danger is significantly less. When you listen to those addicts, because they were at rock bottom, they know that they never want to return. Because the awakening of Yitzias Mitzrayim was from above, we can't truly say that the Yud and the He have been reunited. The idea that the Yud and the He can be united Occurred in Mitzrayim But that the ultimate process Finished in that time Is not correct Why? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw That we had hit rock bottom too early HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted that we should be in Mitzrayim for 400 years But he understood that that rock bottom Was going to destroy us So HaKadosh Baruch Hu, like that parent who loves their child Had no choice but to pull the plug on the project early and as a result, all of the subsequent exiles that exist in this world are designed to finish the process of Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim. But with one fundamental difference. And this is the core of today's shir. Now, the kayach for us to leave Mitzrayim is already there. But the emphasis now is not so much on HaKadosh Baruch Hu taking us out as it is for us to leave Mitzrayim have a uh, Chavar Tov who happens to be a tremendous bentaira. He's a guy who he has a job of he has a very large family he's, he davens three times a day with a minion he's a big Bal chesed. he takes his learning exceptionally seriously he went to a yeshiva many years ago called Ner Yaakov and you've heard of uh, Ner Yaakov Ner Yaakov was back in the day I don't know how to say this nicely it was a it was a thug yeshiva. It was for, it was for the good Gishmak boys. So he, he was so messed up in high school that they didn't let him go to Israel in his what would have been his regular Shana Aleph because he would have been too crazy for Neri Yaakov. So he had to delay going a year. And when he came, he had gotten to a certain level. He had scaled it back a little bit, so he was ready for Neri Yaakov. And he stayed two years in and Yaakov, and then the third year he was a madrich, and I won't tell you the details of the story. But he made a bad choice as a madrich. You know, sometimes when you have these Lebedic boys, and they're doing crazy things, you have to make a decision like, should I let them do this? Should I not let them do this? Are they going to listen to me anyway? Anyway, he chose to participate in the crazy thing that these boys were doing, which was a bad decision for a madrich to make. So the of Lif called him in, and he put his arm around his shoulder in the way that only Lif can. And Rviv said to him, "You could take the boy out of Brooklyn, but you can't take Brooklyn out of the boy." Certain, like he's still like it didn't matter how from he was, he was still psychotic on the inside. You know? He's like, still like a machugna guy, and even today you should know he's. I think he maybe is turning forty this year. He's a little bit younger than me. Maybe he's turning forty now, and even though today Baruch Hashem he's a wonderful person, I could still say the same thing about him. You could take the Brooklyn, you could take the boy out of Brooklyn, but you can't take Brooklyn out of the kid. The same thing is true when it comes to Yisietz Mitzrayim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu could take us out of Mitzrayim. But it doesn't mean that the Mitzrayim has left us. And that's our Avoda. Our Avoda is to journey these 15 steps of the Beis Hamikdash from the Ezra's Nashim to the Ezra's Yisrael, to go from Shehotsiyonu mitzrayim to Ubanu As Beis HaBechira Kadei Al L'Kalav HaNuseinu. The question is, how do we do that? And that's where we come... To the 15 steps of the Seder. And so, even though Be'ezer Hashem this is going to be an entire Sefer, I'll give you just a brief overview of what the 15 steps of Kaddish, Orchats Karpas, Yachatz are, so that we can take this opportunity over the coming days to prepare ourselves for what Be'ezer Hashem will be a meaningful Pesach. We start off with Kaddish. Kaddish, we all know, on a physical level, is Kiddush. Right? That's how we start the Seder, we make Kiddish. But what does it mean for us? So Kadesh means as follows. Every single person is made up of a Nefesh HaLokis and a Nefesh Bahamas. A godly soul, that's the soul that makes us uniquely Jewish. And a Nefesh achiunis, or a Nefesh HaBahamis, a soul that animates our body. Kadesh and Urchatz are the Nefesh HaLokis and the Nefesh Bahamis or the Nefesh HaChiyunis, respectively. First we'll start with Kaddish. There's something that a person, a Jew specifically, must know when they're in this world. If you want to be aligned with reality, which is the goal, if you want to be organically yourself, to connect the Yud and the He, the first thing a Jew must know is that we are visitors on this planet. That sounds like a funny thing to say, but it's a very important Nehuda. What does it mean to be a visitor on on this planet? Because we have a Nefesh HaLokis and a Nefesh bahamis we're a little bit in two places at once. Sometimes we feel pulled towards the transcendent, sometimes we feel pulled towards the physical. Which one are we? The answer is we're both. A Jew is compared to a bridge between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and this world. And because we're a bridge, imagine the Verizano Bridge, right? The Verizano Bridge is a little bit in Brooklyn, a little bit in Staten Island. If it's not in Brooklyn or Staten Island, it's not a very good bridge. The same thing is true when it, comes to, when it comes to Klal Yisrael. HaKadosh Baruch Hu created us to be a bridge between this world and the next world. So this world, we have a part of us that's physical. But we have also a part of ourselves that's spiritual, that's uniquely spiritual. This is called the Nefshalokis. Which means that we have Kedusha inside of us. We are not dependent on the physical reality. The physical reality is dependent on us. That's not a small thing to say because most people in this world, because we have a Nefesh Bahamas, we think that we are dependent on a physical reality. After all, if we don't go to a doctor and we get sick, then chas v'shalom we could die. That's true for the Nefesh Bahamas. It's not true for the godly soul. The godly soul is infinite. The godly soul cannot die. And so the way that we engage the physical world must be through the lens of the Nefshalokis, which means that we are, in a certain sense, we're visitors here. We're not meant to be here. But this also is a very empowering idea. This is not a small idea. Imagine if a person comes to a business deal. One person has $10,000 to invest. Another person has $10 million to invest. The person with $10,000 and the person with $10 million are both sitting at the same exact table. But when they're listening to the presentation, it's two completely different experiences. The person who has $10,000 knows all I have to invest is $10,000. If this goes wrong, I'm out of luck. I'm stuck. If I only have $10,000 to my name and I'm going to invest all $10,000, I'm stuck. The person who has $10 million could very easily say, I'm going to invest a quarter of a million dollars. And even if it goes south, you win some, you lose some. There's an impoverished mentality and there's an abundance mentality. The neft kiss gives us the capacity to come into this world with an abundance mentality. It's true in the physical world. It's also true in the world of relationships. If a person gets married, for example, and they're not enough for themselves, And then, Chas V'Shalom, may have Shalom bias challenges. What are those Shalom bias challenges a symptom of? Not necessarily of what's going on between husband and wife, but the inner scarcity mentality that people have. When we show up with an abundance mentality, it means we are capable of being in this world. So the Seder begins with the notion of Kaddish. Every single one of us, because we are not really truly from within this world, when we engage in this world, we're not engaging from a scarcity mentality. And if you stop and think to yourself for a moment, a little bit of an exercise, where in my life do I engage with a scarcity mentality? Where are those places that I engage with a scarcity mentality? You'll learn a tremendous amount about yourself. Examine how you show up to relationships. Examine how you show up to scary anxiety-provoking things, and you'll be able to tell in a very short amount of time where are the places that I have a scarcity mentality. And then challenge yourself. Ask yourself, is that a physical worldview or is that a spiritual worldview? Is the godly soul have a scarcity mentality when it comes to these things? For example, you have many girls in Shadokim. I have a daughter that's about to enter Shadokim. And for whatever reason, and I have unfortunately, too much experience with the negative side of this. But for whatever reason, there's this, uh, there's this thing that's spoken about. It's completely inappropriate. It's wrong. There's so many good guys out there. but I'm sorry, there's so many good girls out there, but there's not that many good guys out there. And what's going to be? And there's an anxiety from the time that the girls are very little. And it's like, I have to be perfect. I have to be excellent. I have to be amazing in order to get this guy that's frankly not that impressive. But it's like, it's in the system it's in the, there's, a te, there's a terrifying anxiety That's in the system How could a person show up to a date Ready to connect to another person With such a mentality Who's going to want to create a relationship With someone that's terrified Nobody wants to create a relationship With someone that's terrified How would the godly soul show up to a date The godly soul would show up to a date Authentically Here I am This is a wonderful place to be without arrogance but with complete confidence this is a very special place to be and you should know it's a very attractive thing when people show up that way isn't it true you know the guy that shows up to a date and he's like way overly confident it's it's not very pleasant to be around such a person no i see some of you have had these dates i'm looking around your eyes are very telling by the way just letting you know yeah He's it's it's not it's 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 not a person that's connected. But you see a guy who comes in with humility, with kindness, gentle, compassionate, right? But confident, not swagger. Just here I am. It's a wonderful thing to it's a wonderful thing. I was in Shayasha this morning, and there was a boy, and he looks exactly as you think he would look. When you'll see when I tell you the story, just whatever you're picturing in your head, (laughs) that's who he is. And he's walking around with a large tub of creamed herring and crackers. Now you know what he looks like? Yeah? And he, and I'm sitting with a, with a Talmud, and he's like, check it out, look what I got. He's so excited. He's so excited to show up with his tub of herring. And I just, I said, I want you to know I'm so happy that you exist. That you, you're just like a guy who has a tub of herring, and he's just <laughs> Like, to meet such a person who's so comfortable with his herring, I didn't, I didn't grow up in that way. I didn't grow up with, with herring, if you know what I mean. So, some people grow up, grow up with herring. I didn't grow up with herring. I didn't grow up with kichel. I didn't grow up with, like, drinking vodka at 7 o'clock in the morning after There There's so, people that grow up this way. This guy clearly grew up this way, and he's, and he's holding his vat of herring. And I told him, I said, oh, I, you are so lucky. When you go on a date, you're going to know exactly who's the right one for you. He said, how? I said, you're going to show up with this tub of herring. And if the girl goes, awesome, that's the one for you. Because most people are not going to show up to a date with a tub of herring. He's like, you don't start with a tub of herring. You start with a piece of kugel. I said, I, Mamish, I love this guy. I'm so, I have a daughter. I'm thinking of my daughter for him. I don't know what he's going to do in his life. I'm also not sure it matters. The guy, Mamish, he's just so confident. He's so authentic. It's such a beautiful thing. That's Kaddish. We have a nefeshul kiss. We don't have to have a scarcity mentality. And step two urchats. Urchats is the nefesh yunus, the soul that animates our body. This too is a very pure thing. Nefeshah Bahamas gets a bad rap. Nefeshah Bahamas, because it knows it's going to die, has a scarcity mentality. But not right away. In fact, in the very beginning, of a child's life, even their physical self is very pure. There's something exceptionally sweet about children who are totally unabashed when it comes to displaying their emotions, no? It's not always a pleasant thing. Like if you're in gourmet glot and you have a little child And the child discovers the candy aisle for the first time and decides to throw a major temper tantrum right then and there. And everybody's looking and judging you as a parent because your child is having that meltdown. Of course, nobody's judging, but we're all, we're not judging, but we're judging, right? So let's be honest with each other. We're like, you're a bad parent. You can't keep your kid under control. And so all of a sudden the kid is like holding massive amounts of candies. I liked, remember Brachs, Ola in, Vashalim? Uh, in, in, in Brachs, when I was still living in America, I loved shopping in Brachs. Why? Because you used to be able to get a free bakery cookie for the kids when you shopped in Brachs. So it was perfect. I could show up with my kids, right away we get to the bakery counter, and then we're good. Like, no temper tantrums. That's how I knew it was going to be okay. There's something exceptionally pure and unsullied about that. That's orchats. It's washing without a bracha, it's not cleaning. It's pure. There's a fundamental difference between cleaning and purification. A child does not need to be freed from themselves. We do. The saddest day, and this happens with every child. Baruch Hashem, we have another mother here in the audience so she can attest to this. Maybe maybe it didn't happen to your you children, but it happened. I think it happens to all children. Do you remember the day when your children start caring more about what other people think than what they want themselves. Yeah? It happens to everybody. It's not just my family, right? My my daughter, she's seven now. And Baruch Hashem, she came back because she has a good mother and a good chinuch. But she was obsessed with unicorns. (laughs) Obsessed. Until the age of five. She was obsessed with unicorns. And I remember the day that she told me, Abba, please don't get me any more unicorn things. Because I was the father who was like, if my daughter wants unicorn things, I'm going to give her every possible unicorn thing that exists. So one year Hanukkah, every night of Hanukkah, she got something unicorn. Like, I was like, uh, I go to Amazing Savings just to find unicorn things. And like, that's the whole, her whole mahus, her whole wall is covered in unicorn stickers. I just wanted to give her everything unicorn. She comes, ah, but no more unicorn things. Why not? It's for babies. So I'm like, first of all, you're five. <laughs> 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 Let's just put things in perspective. So like, uh, and I said, "There, I'm like that's so sad." But you love unicorn things. She goes, "It's for babies." Now, Baruch Hashem, she came back around. She still loves unicorn things. I just got her unicorn stuff from Amazing savings right before I came here today. Also, I went Pesach shopping, which is an interesting thing that I had to come six thousand miles from a land of Jews to here to get stuff for Pesach. But that's a different land for a different time. <laughs> Can't get Lieber's Jello in Eretz Yisrael. That's uh, something I just discovered. So, a child does not need to be freed from themselves because they're already free. Don't you miss that? Do you remember that? It's a beautiful thing. Just to be purely yourself. So that's the conception of a child. is Kadesh and Orchatz. It's the only one with a Vav. They go together. The breakdown starts to happen by Karpas. Karpas, we're going to learn two lessons from Karpas is from a version of Perach Samach. Here the Samach refers to the 600,000 Jews in Mitzrayim. And the Perach refers to the Avodas Perach. So what was the Avedas Parach of Mitzrayim? So we know that Paro gave all the masculine work to the women and all of the feminine work to the men. And it was not so politically correct to say Back then, they didn't have identification issues. So the masculine work went to the women, and the feminine work went to the men. What does this mean for us? It's a fundamental question. Are you aligned with yourself? Are you doing things in your life? Because none of us are, right? We're all a little bit misaligned. Are we doing things that speak to us as people? I heard a Maissa... I can't tell you his name. So I think it would be Lashon Hara, but I heard this Maisa about a certain very well-known doctor. And when he was younger in Yeshiva, because he was such a brilliant guy, they said to him, you should really become a Tamil Chachem. Go into Chinuch, the Amar Bitz Torah. And he did, until he was in his 30s. And then one day he woke up and he realized he was miserable because he was a doctor. That's what he had always wanted. He allowed people to tell him what he should be instead of listening to who he really was. It was a tragic mistake. This doctor, because he is a man of tremendous integrity and a man of tremendous courage, he chose to leave Chinuch. He chose to go to medical school after he was already married with children in his 30s and to go through the entire process. He didn't become a doctor until he was 40. And today he's a very well-known doctor, very chashev, a doctor who saved many lives. And when asked, he'll tell you this story. Why? Because he says it's important to know that you have to be aligned with your own reality. When we say masculine and feminine, we don't necessarily mean male and female. There's certain work that we're naturally disposed to doing. And at some point we become misaligned. That's karpas. We have a natural nafshalokis, a natural nafshalokis, and we should listen to them. They tell us important things about ourselves. And when we listen to them, we start behaving in accordance with who we are, an amazing thing happens. We become exceptionally joyous. And the opposite, unfortunately, is also true. When a person doesn't listen to the truest self that they have inside of them, when they go seeking advice from others about how they should show up to life, Instead of listening to their own internal godly voice, they're making a terrible, tragic mistake. Because we know the answers inside of ourselves, no? You ever do this thing where you make a decision, and then as soon as you make it, you go, nope, that wasn't it, that wasn't right? Then you switch the decision and you go, yep, that was it, that was right, you ever do that? How'd you know? Remember all the people you asked up until that point, and all the different like little chirping things that they said? as if any of them have any basis in reality of what's going on inside of ourselves. Who knows ourselves better than ourselves? We lost confidence in ourselves. At some point we became misaligned. We stopped listening to the inner voice. That's karpas. It's the destruction of self. There's another lesson from karpas that's very important. Perach could also mean perach, soft mouth. Now Paro used this soft mouth Inappropriately, he used it to trick Jews into coming to work for him. But there is a side of kedusha here. My wife showed me a book by Shai Ashtrov. I don't know if you girls have ever read in any of his books, but he said he had a very beautiful lashon in one of his books. He said, "A soul of silk, a soul of silk. That the soul is made of silk." What did he mean to say? Gentle. Gentle, no? When a person speaks perach, when a person speaks with a soft mouth in a gentle way, when they're able to silence their inner critic from speaking inappropriately, that's a fundamental part of the healing process that comes along with when we become misaligned from ourselves. Very often when we become misaligned from ourselves, if you really want to follow it up, you can look inside of yourself and you'll notice that your inner critic has become very loud. Here's a good tip. Listen to the voice that you have from within and ask yourself if you would speak that way to anybody else. The boy in Yeshiva who had a terrible inner critic. And he started talking. He was in my office and he said, Rabbi, you don't understand how messed up I am. You don't understand all the things I've done. He starts verbally beating himself. So I said, I just quick question. I said, do you have friends in Yeshiva that do similar things to you? He goes, yeah. I said, if one of them came to you and confided in you that he had done these same things, how would you speak to him? He said, I would say it's understandable. I would say you have to understand where you come from. I would say that you're in process. I would say that this is part of the process. I said, and tell me, do you say any of these things to yourself? He goes, no, because for me it's a lie. I said, no, no, no. The lie is that you think it's a lie. As we journey through the beginning stages of adolescence, and if you have the opportunity in your life to work with adolescents, just take a deep breath. It'll all be okay in the end, yeah? Mm-hmm. But as you're going through that, you know that rabbi or that teacher that speaks just with that kind, gentle voice and sort of shares that voice with you until you can adopt it for yourself? Is there a greater gift than that? It's interesting, in yeshiva, sometimes you see these guys that they love that Moser Shmos. They love that, like, they go, like, parkour. Tell me how it is, Rabbi. Come, just beat me to a bloody pulp so that I'll never do it again. And Chas V'shalom to do such a thing. Because they will, they will adopt that voice. And that's a very, very dangerous voice. One that we need to protect ourselves from. And of course if we're misaligned, then the next stage is yachatz, breaking the middle matzah. And of course it's the middle matzah because we're speaking about the essence. This is the stage when a person becomes so misaligned that they feel that they've lost who they really are. The bigger piece, which is going to only be discovered later, that bigger piece that becomes the afikoman is gone. Who am I? I'm a shadow of myself. I'm just a fraction of what I was when I was a kid. I lost myself along the way. You know, we saw this with our own daughter. When we were living in America, my daughter was Meshuggah. She was crazy. She had the funniest personality. It was the sweetest thing in the world. We were shopping here in Gormeglat, and my wife is pushing her along in the cart, and my daughter, She's she's getting agitated. Something is clearly bothering her. And she's like looking around and she's getting frustrated And my eyes. Like, what's going on? Are you okay? And she's like, little. And she's like getting very agitated. And finally, she looks up at the ceiling in Gormeg lot and she goes, Stop talking to me. What was going on? Every time somebody came and said clean up on aisle three, she thought that it was talking to her. And so she was getting very agitated, like, I don't know what you want from me. This voice from the heavens, I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> and she was a lunatic child. She could not be contained. And then we came to Eretz Yisrael and we saw her entire personality changed. It's not an easy thing to not know the language that all of your friends are speaking. Even in Ramat P'Chemesh, where there's Baruch Hashem, a lot of English spoken. It's not posh, it's not obvious, it's not simple for a child to make that adjustment. So she went from being this outgoing meshuganah child who was yelling at the ceiling, to very reserved. And it was a process of watching her over the next couple of years heal that part of herself. It's not a small thing. We all have yachatzes in our life, parts of ourselves that we feel like we've left behind, no? Think back in your life where you lost some of those pieces, pieces that were put aside for later. Maybe we wanted to impress others Maybe we feel we needed to live up to other people's expectations of perfection. Or worse, maybe our own coping mechanism of perfection. But there was a part of ourselves that broke in the middle. And we lost it. That's part of becoming the people that we're not for others. And so that's the brokenness. Kadesh and Orchatz tell us who we are. Karpas and Yachatz tell us how we break apart. And then there's Magid. This is the beginning of the healing. I heard a line many years ago from Dr. David Pelkowitz. He said, if you want to leave Mitzrayim, you have to be yotze the mitzvah of Magid. Which means, if you want to leave the Mitzrayim, the restrictions and constrictions of your life, you have to be willing to tell your story. So this is the therapy. This is the part where you get to say, this is my life, this is what happened to me to be able to have an MS talk with somebody else, to be able to say, this is where I've been, this is my journey. And there's a couple of opportunities here that I'd like to highlight as part of our own tikkun, of ourself, to unite the hay and the yud, to do the work from below, to rectify ourselves, so that ultimately HaKadosh will bring the Geula. First of all, how do you tell your story? Do you tell your story honestly? Or are you the victim? And there's a big difference. Because a person could tell their story... And bad things could have happened to them, and it doesn't make them a victim. When a person tells over their story with a victim mentality, it means something is missing. So how do you tell your story? Another one. Who do you tell your story to? Your story should not be known by everyone. How many people should know your story? Maybe a handful of people in the world. A handful of people that get to know every single thing about you. It's not something today with uh, with social media, it's like... Everybody gets to hear our story all the time. It's diseased. I have somebody who I know on, uh, on Twitter. He's a wonderful person, but for some reason, every time he has an anxiety attack or falls into depression, he feels the need to share it with his followers. And I'm like, that's really private things. Those are like, when you say that to the world, that's something that has to stay just with you. So that's a very big deal. You don't just share that with anybody. So number one, how do you tell your story? Number number two, who do you share your story with? And number three, and this is a a very important one, do you share it for yourself or do you share it for another? Is your story something that can provide strength to somebody else? Are you able to say, yes, we all go through different things, but I want you to know I also went through something like this, and I'm not embarrassed to tell you, because together we can go through this. Our common humanity can save us. And so we start to leave Mitzrayim when we start to become the owners of our story. And our story can not only empower ourselves, it can empower another as well. Now we return to Rachtsa. Once we have, before we had Orchatz, which was the pure state that we arrived in. Orchatz is different. I'm sorry, Rachca is different than Orchatz. Rachtsa is with a bracha. Rachca means that now we are not purify, Now we're not coming in pure, we're purifying ourselves. This is the process of tshuva. Once you own your story, now what's the next step? This is what I did, what's the next step? The recognition, I don't have to become this person anymore. I can wash my hands. And that's also not a simple thing in this world. To be able to say what my story was does not need to be the story that continues. That's a very difficult thing to say. Because many of us are trapped in our own stories. It was always like this for me, and it always will be like this for me. Rachtzah gives us the opportunity to change our story and to do a full tshuva. Then there's motzi. We make a bracha of hamotzi. Hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz means, in the present tense, Hakadosh baruch, who brings forth bread from the ground. Not that He brought forth bread from the ground, but that He brings forth bread from the ground. God consciousness. In order to unite this world with the world above, a person needs to recognize that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is recreating the world at every single moment. And this too is part of the tshuva process. Because if a person tells their story and owns their story, and a person says, I want to change, the next thing that has to happen is to know that change happens at every single moment, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is constantly in a state of bringing forth the world into its current reality. And it's not possible to change if you don't believe this. I'll explain. If the world is just a continuation, if one moment just follows another, and it's not recreated anew, then it makes sense to say, what I was is what I will be, right? Because if I was that before, and time is a continuum, so what I was, I will always be. But if time is constantly recreated every single moment, what was, even a minute ago, is a completely different reality than the one that's in front of me. So making a Hamozi means not only have I committed to change, but the nature of the world is that it's constantly in a state of change. And therefore I am unbound by history and I'm unbound by predilections of what the future will bring. And that's also a fundamental part of change. Once we go through that, now we return to matzah. What's the difference between matzah and bread? Weinberger spoke about this at length in the new Haggadah that was just published from Weinberger, which is, by the way, beautiful. Highly recommend it if anyone hasn't yet gotten it. Superb Haggadah written by Nachum Denowitz. He did a fantastic job. But he speaks at length about the idea of simplicity. What does it mean, simplicity? Simplicity means to show up as you are with no need for self-inflation we're now starting to return to the way we were in the very beginning of this process by Kadesh and Orchaz, as represented in Matzah. Here I am. Nothing fancy, no inflation. I don't need any accoutrements. I don't need anything to build up my inner beauty because I am beautiful as I am. Meaning, whoever I am, including all of my imperfections, I'm capable of engaging with my entire self and saying, this is who I am. You know, it's a funny thing, they really learned today how to make bread look amazing, no? Like bread, like I, especially in Eretz I don't know, I, I've forgotten how they, they have it here in America. I think here it's like more like pre-sliced than the plastic bags. There's a bakery by me, it's a phenomenal bakery, and they have like sourdough bread. But like I don't really understand, maybe you girls know how to do this better? What's with the designs on bread, no? They know how to make it look amazing. Like, bread is like art now today. I can't imagine that matzah will ever be that way. No, I can't imagine that somebody's going to make, like, decorative matzah. I was just in Kol I saw that they have chocolate-covered matzah. So I was like, okay, that's a chiddush. They're selling chocolate-covered matzah. But seriously, how much could you do to matzah already? It's very plain. It's very simple. This is what it is. But the beauty is in its simplicity. I'm going to tell you a secret. I should not tell you this. I'm going to tell you a secret. There was a conversation in Yeshiva. I'm not going to tell you who the guys were. It doesn't matter. But this guy, he's a very funny guy, he went on a rant. And he said, I don't understand what happens to these girls by weddings, Rabbi. He had gone back for his sister's wedding. And he said, they spent all day in makeup. And he was going on this rant, and he, sh- he shouldn't have said it, and it was Barabim, and it wasn't the appropriate thing to do. And with all of that introduction, he goes, Rebbe, they look terrible. Mm-hmm. So they spent all day in makeup. They just looked like they had like makeup caked on themselves. And like, their hair was done up to like, like they looked at like Marge Simpson, just like the giant hair. Like, he was saying in a sweet way, he's like a little bit of a crazy guy, but he's like, he's like, My sisters look terrible. I would never tell that to them, but they look terrible. So I used it as an opportunity to shift it into a more appropriate conversation. I said, and, and if you unpack that, what does that really mean? So he's like, these girls feel the need to like, be something they're not. It's not attractive. He's like, just show up. Like, just, like, just be like yourself. And it's much more attractive. And that part he's right about. But I, I, we moved it into a conversation about how all of us do that, right? But to become a matzadeka person is not a simple thing. It takes a tremendous amount of courage because it's very vulnerable to be matzah. It's a very hard thing to show up in your life and say, this is who I am, without any added extras, nothing fancy. Then there's Marur. Marur in many ways has become my favorite of all the simanim, Because it's without a doubt the hardest. Marur means I can feel my feelings, especially the hard ones. I'm sure it's like this with the girls also, but I know it's like with this with the guys. If you ask a guy, like, how did that make you feel? But you don't say, how did that make you feel? This is very cliche. But if you basically ask them, how did that make you feel? They go, this is what they say. I don't know. Sad. Right? I'm like, uh-huh. Or happy. I'm like, or angry. But that's, that's, the, that's it. That's the, that's the entire lexicon of emotions, right? Okay. And so I'll say to them, and if you drill down under sad, what will you find? So they say, like, I don't know, it was weird. I'm like, okay, but weird is not an emotion, right? And they're like, yeah, okay. I don't know, it just didn't feel. It didn't feel. It didn't feel good. I'm like, so I'm like, the last time you were able to get away with that was third grade in creative writing. The boy felt sad, right? But if that's the range of your emotional dictionary, there's a problem, right? So, we, like, giving people language to be able to express their pain is no small feat, right? To be able to say. It felt really lonely. Or it felt like I was a really big loser. It brought back really, really deep feelings of not being enough. Right? Could you imagine a guy saying those things? They, it's like years of therapy to get there. No, it's like not a simple thing. The hardest thing in the world is to feel our feelings. The absolute hardest thing in the world. What do you mean? Just feel your feelings, right? No. Like, you could do that even physically, even if you don't give your feelings a name. Isn't that true? You ever have a feeling and you could just point to it. Even if you don't give it a name, you just go like this, right? And it could be like overwhelming. It could spread throughout all of our person. Because just being able to experience the feeling on its own is huge. That's a huge part of the rectification process. Children are able to feel their feelings. Adults have all these protective mechanisms to make sure that we don't. So the return to self, to bridge this world in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, comes with feeling our feelings and that brings us to Korich. Korich is both a matzah sandwich and a mara sandwich. Which one is it, matzah or mara? It's both. And this is the hardest truth, that paradoxes are true. Right? What do they say? The definition of emotional maturity is being able to hold two complex, conflicting emotions at once. Like, you ask a girl after she's broken up with this guy, and it was like, it was like him or bust, like, it was either we're going to get married or we're going to break up. Right? Ask them how do you feel afterwards, they'll say something like, I feel like again if you like unpack it, I feel really afraid to get back out there. I don't know that I'll be ready to do this whole thing again. And I also feel a deep sense of relief that I extricated myself from that relationship. Right? Those are two conflicting emotions. Being able to hold both of them is a sign of emotional maturity. That's Korech. Are we redeemed? Are we matzah? Yes, partially. Are we still in the midst of our maror? Yes, partially. Is it okay that we're in the middle of both? Is it okay that sometimes we feel this way and sometimes we feel that way, and that we go different places in our lives at different times, maybe even at the same time? Is that an okay part of the process? Are we able to become that person? That's the redeeming quality of Korekh. But if we can get through all of those stages, then we get to shochan arich. What does shochan arich mean? A set table. Things are now organized, misudar, as they should be, which is the whole point of the Seder, to create order out of chaos. We now have a table in front of us full of delicacies and we can eat them and we can engage with this world for the sake of HaKadosh Baruch It means we are once again properly aligned. Order has been created. And in such a state, we have tzafun the dessert. What's the dessert? That shadow part of ourselves, that big part that we lost way back. It returns. We're able to once again become integrated people. Where the parts of ourselves that we lost somewhere along the way, once again become a part of ourselves. I'll tell you a story. This year in yeshiva, there's a boy in yeshiva who's a really cool boy. He's a great ball player, maybe even a phenomenal ball player. And he came to yeshiva and in the beginning of the year, he would get very frustrated by some of the guys that were not as cool as him. And it bothered him. And his Rebbe, who's a wonderful Rebbe, called him out on it. And in an a frontal way, he called him out on it many, many times. This boy happens to be a very growth oriented boy, and he took what his Rebbe said very seriously. A couple of weeks ago, I saw him walking around in the courtyard of the yeshiva in giraffe pajamas doing lunges with a basketball. So I, I said to him, What, what are you doing? <laughs> this is certainly not the way he showed up to yeshiva in the beginning of the year. And he's like doing these like sort of hop lunges in this full giraffe costume in the chutzpah of the yeshiva. Like, what are you doing? He goes, Lunches. As if it was totally normal that he's walking around in giraffe pajamas. It was like a full onesie. So I pulled him over afterwards and I said, I want you to know I'm very proud of you. So he said, Why? not because he's in the base madrish, not because he's learning now, not because he's davening like a mensch he would have beaten that kid up in the beginning of the year the guy that he is now is exactly the guy that he would have been making fun of in fact it was but part of his own rectification process is the reason that he was so upset about that is because he has that guy inside of him but he had to square it away, right? he was too cool to be that guy so he, he hid it away and it frustrated him every time he saw it, until he learned to accept that guy, and then he could accept himself. I remember when I was, um, when I was growing up, so I had all these friends, because I was in Hafter for a couple of years, before I was expelled from Hafter, I was in Hafter for a couple of years in elementary school. And then um, I ran into some of these guys later on in high school. I remember walking down Central Avenue, and I saw this guy that I was friends with from elementary school, I said, hey, how's it going? You know, very uh, loud, effusive, whatever it was. And the guy was like, good, what's going on with you? I was like, you okay? He's like, yeah, it's all good. I'm like, what happened to you? Like, you forgot how to talk? Like, I knew you not that long ago, and all of a sudden you're just like, like very quiet, you know what I'm saying? He was very, anyone here from after? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know this guy? Yeah, I'm saying you met this guy before. Right, and all of a sudden he was like, I don't know. I was like, what don't you know? Like, was like, <laughs> it was a shadow part of himself that he had. Was, he had to like become a certain personality. He was a regular, normal kid running around playing football in the you know in the cement courtyard over there. Like it was, what happened to him? We lose these parts of ourselves. You know, it's an amazing thing that happens when we return those parts to ourselves. It's a very beautiful thing. And then there's Baruch. Baruch means to express gratitude. You want to know the symptom of if you're in self or not? Ask yourself how grateful you are. Gratitude is an amazing thing, no? We love to be around grateful people. Real grateful people. You're not, not, not the fake grateful people. Fake gratitude is very uncomfortable. You know, it's like somebody comes over to you and thanks you for something that really wasn't that big a deal. But they're like, y- you saved my life. First of all, no, you didn't. Right, like, <laughs> She just got you a coffee. Like, it wasn't that big a deal, right? Like, but, like, but there are people that when they're very genuine in the way that they say thank you, it's like, thank you so much for doing that. It really meant a lot to me. Isn't that a special person to be around? To behave in a grateful way means to lead a blessed life. To lead a blessed life. That's barich. Then there's the hardest one. I think is the hardest one. Which is hallow. Hallow means to be able to sing with joyous abandon. I'm going to tell you a secret about myself. It's not such a secret because I tell it all over the place, but I shouldn't. I probably don't have as bad a voice as I think I do, but I have not davened for the Ahmud, I think since I'm like 12 years old in like youth groups or something like that. I'm pretty sure that I could do a decent job. If I would get up in yeshiva, I'm pretty sure I could have a very nice Kabbalah Shabbos and really make it meaningful for the boys. I won't do it. I won't do it. It's, it's terrifying, no? To be able to be yourself with total abandon, to sing, to dance, as if no one is watching. To be able to have complete joy of all of the emotions to feel. Joy is the hardest one. That's why we hold ourselves back from feeling joy. There are people that are truly joyous. Rechaim Kaniowski is a should know he was an exceptionally joyful person. There's a lot of stories coming out now about his asmada, and they're all amazing. But I want you to know, in the time that I met with Rav Chaim, I got to see his smile. I, I can't tell you how much Torah I've heard from Rav Chaim Kaniowski, but the smile, the joy that was in his life, was amazing. He always had a like a like a clever smile, like dancing on his lips. A boyfriend of Bavaria came with very long hair. And uh, he asked Rav Chaim for a bracha, and Rav Chaim looked at his gabai and goes, "Zeish o isha. <laughs> and he had a very beautiful smile on his face. The tzaddikim, I like them. The biggest tzaddikim in the world, they just feel like amazing amounts of joy. And when you see the smile on tzaddikim, like Rav when you see Rav smile, it's like, ah, it lights up the entire world. It's so beautiful. To be able to sing is an amazing symptom of self. To be yourself with nobody else, just to be, this is who I am, to sing at the top of your lungs, to, to sing praise to HaKadosh Baruch it's an amazing gift. And then the Seder ends with nirza. Nirza is the appreciation that redemption that comes along with exile, right, because you can't have redemption without exile, is better than the original product. That's a hard thing to know. Most of us don't want to go through any of this. We don't want to go through the brokenness of our life. We don't want to lose our shadow parts. We don't want to act in an inflated way because we have a scarcity mentality. None of us really want to go through that, right? But if you do at the end, to be able to say that you're a person who's redeemed, that the relationship is infinitely deeper than you had beforehand with yourself, with others, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that redemption that will one day occur, that's an amazing gift. Also, nirtza is the birthplace of hope, and hope is everything. Hope is the belief that life will surely change. And it will, and it does. Look around. Hope is everywhere. Yesh tikva, right? There's amazing hope that exists in this world. If we're in self, we can be hopeful people. And of course, when we say L'shana Abba B'yushalayim, it's a tefillah to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that we've done ours, we've elevated the hay. And now it's up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu to reunite us with the Yud and to bring an Alamaba. These are the 15 steps of the Seder. These are the 15 steps from the Ezra's Nashim, the elevation of the feminine parts of this world, to the Ezra's Yisrael, to the return of HaKadosh Baruch Hu into our world. Ezra HaShem, we should be zaycha this year by Lashana Babi Yushalayim to have done all the work that we're speaking about so that we can merit redemption not from above, but from below. Thank you very much for coming.